Welcome to the Institute of World Politics podcast. IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. To learn more, please visit www.iwp.edu. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Institute of World Politics. Uh, this is officially, well, it looks like the first day of spring. Huzzah! Uh, California winter. I'm glad that you prefer sordid stories to good weather. You must be gluttons for punishment. And I welcome you and I'm glad to see you around some of the familiar faces. I'm sure we'll be joined by more. This is an event sponsored by the Kościuszko Chair in Polish Studies and the Center for Intermarium Studies. The events like this Indeed, the chair, all of this is possible because we have generous friends and family. Our school does not accept any of the taxpayers' money. We go around begging, and voila, as a present, in return, you get real, non-politically politically correct scholarship. Plus, the child. Which is what attracts most people who come here. <laughs> I like the food too. We have um, extremely exciting lineup. Most of uh, our presenters have arrived. One will be represented by proxy. All the topics are extremely obscure, and as you know, Poland's history is the world's best kept secret. Only it is said the Poles know about it, but the fact is even they don't know about anything. We have been working in the vineyards of the past to bring back the obscure, so as to end the paranoia about things nobody knows about but seems to have an opinion about. We're against that. We have um, a little bit about World War I and its aftermath. And again, it is an extremely understudied topic, including, including regarding the West. We sort of dropped World War I in favor of World War II because World War II was such a stupendous tragedy that 40 million that died in World War I, plus 50 million who perished in an epidemic right after World War I uh, ended, doesn't register too much. So we've decided to resurrect it uh, a little bit. We'll talk about the murky war world of um, white Russian intelligence and counterintelligence <laughs> operations. By this, I don't mean Lukashenko. I mean czarist or anti-Bolshevik whites in the wake of World War I. Indeed, in World War II, too. Uh, then, we'll focus on women. Some of you must have heard about the expression matka polka. Polish mother. It's sort of like a Jewish mother with a flag and a sword. <laughs> and the great 
British explorer, Victorian spy, Richard Burton, who penetrated in disguise into Mecca in the middle of the 19th century, said, well, usually women don't double with the military, except the Poles and Americans. And he was right. So we'll talk about Polish women not particularly in the military, or not only in the military, we'll hear about them outperforming everybody else. Okay. More or less in the, in the uh, interwar period, but beginning before World War I. And I'm very happy to report that our own one of our own here at IWP, a research fellow at large, was able to penetrate the post-Soviet archives and bring out the tally for the anti-Polish operation of the NKVD. This is stupendous, given the neglect of scholars, not to mention of uh, uh, not to mention of the uh, of the so-called official structures of the Polish state, which were supposed to have remembered about the dead, and they failed to after 1989. Uh, and last but not least, we'll have a special declassified uh, briefing by a declassified retired operator who <laughs> knows how to play certain instruments very well, and also penetrated into the Soviet Union in the mid-80s and took some pictures for us. Uh, I'm sure you will really enjoy that one too. As you see, the Kosciuszko Chair in Polish Studies has a big heart. We embrace everybody, more or less, between Moscow and Berlin and Tallinn and Athens. Anything related to it at any point of history is fair game for us. We're interested in it. So, without much more ado, I'd like to invite uh, Dr. Uh, Wojciech Muszyński up to tell us a story of uh, uh, Polish military uh, formations in uh, Russia during World War I and its aftermath. Come, come, please. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Decorated veteran. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 this is only the cross of merit, so this is not the award. Not yet. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure and privilege to open this seminar with my short speech about the Polish formations during the World War II on the Russian side. About Great War. I said uh, World War II. I'm working on World War II. Usually that's why it, it was just a mistake. So the Great War, World War I, the knowledge about the Polish soldiers who were fighting on the side of the Entente during the Great War is less widespread in Poland than the events of the 17th or 18th centuries. Few people know that already in 1915 the first Polish legion of 
1,000 soldiers was founded to fight against the Germans. That was <coughs> two years before the famous 100,000 strong Blue Army of General Joseph Haller, which included a, lar a large part of Polish volunteers from the USA and Canada, took to the field. This formation, sometimes called the Pulaski Legion, formed the nucleus from which the Polish military formations developed in Russia in 1918, which numbered more than 50,000 soldiers. Despite they, they were wearing Russian uniforms, the volunteers of the Pulaski Legion were Polish patriots. Uh, their goal was to fight for the homeland, free and united out of the free partitions. But many Poles didn't support the idea of fighting arm-to-arm -arm with the Entente. In the pro-Austrian and pro-German political circles accused them of be being Moscow lovers uh, in servitude to autocracy and of wearing charist decorations. These false accusations were most often made by supporters of left-wing and Joseph Pilsudski. These people at the same time were supporting Germany by creating their own legions in Galicia, the so-called Pilsudski legions. They themselves wore German iron crosses on their riflemen's uniforms and did not consider this to be anything wrong. This dispute between supporters of cooperation with the Entente, the main exponent of which was Roman Dmowski, and the supporters of Germany and the Central Powers, led by Joseph Piłsudski, influenced the Polish history of the first half, half of the 20th century. The Polish formations created in Russia did not have easy at the start. These soldiers who lacked any previous training, mostly acquired their combat ex experience in battle, paying for this with their own blood. They also faced difficulties uh, with re receiving supplies, as well as mistrust of the part of the Russian military high command. Uh, for the Russians, the Polish Legion appeared to be a suspicious initiative, an enemy plan almost by definition. Almost uh, among other things, the legionaries were officially forbidden to use national symbols or issue Polish commands, uh, orders which they have never respect respected. Despite this, the volunteers remained in the ranks, believing that the lesser evil was Germany as the more dangerous enemy of the Polish cause. And this is the first pattern of the uniforms, of the Polish uniform of this legion from 1914 and beginning 1915. The uniforms was banned uh, in uh, March 1915, uh, but the cap was still used unofficially by the soldiers of the uh, of the Polish Legion until 1917. Uh, the White Legion, as the Pulaski Legion was called to distinguish them from the Red Legions of George <coughs> Pilsudski, were lucky in their leadership. 
The officers of Polish origin seconded to them from the Tsarist army proved not only to be Polish patriots, but also good tacticians, and they did not let their men down, even in the most difficult situations. Their numbers included prominent later commanders of the Polish army, such as General Lucian Żeligowski, who regained Vilna for Poland in 1920. The legionaries underwent a bloodbath while fighting in the 1915 campaign against Germany. The baptism of fire took place on May 20, 1915, near Pakoslav, a village in the Holy Cross mountain region, during a night attack on German positions. The battle was typical for units cooperating with the Russians. The Russian regiments, who were intended to support the Poles, did not move out of the, tre 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 out of the trenches. Uh, and the Pulaski Legion bled out alone against the overwhelming odds. The Poles lost uh, more than 100 dead and wounded. This was tactic which involved uh, bleeding out the Poles in order of awaken in them a blood brotherhood with the Russians and bind them more closely to the Russian army. We know this exactly. Lenino battle was the same pattern, the same style of, of creating a Polish-Russian uh, alliance. Less than a month later, on June 16, 1915, at Michalów, it was close to Pakosla, uh, the Poles took revenge on the Germans, inflicted heavy losses on them. Then there were further battles of which the Legion covered the evacuation of the Russian forces from the Central Power, called at the time the Congressional Kingdom. By the end of the summer, uh, out of more than 1,000 strong force, only a little over a hundred soldiers remained able to fight. The rest was killed or wounded. Uh, so the regiment's combat losses amounted to 90 percent. 90 percent. In the autumn of 1915, the Pulaski legionaries uh, were sent to Bobruisk, now the Eastern Belarus, when the branch was sub sub supplemented with new volunteers and re reorganized in the Polish Rifle Brigade. In the spring of 1916, the brigade went on the front. However, the section of the front was calm at the time, so until the end of the year, the soldiers managed to survive without any major battles and losses. So they were lucky. In 1917, the decision was taken to reorganize the Polish troops into the Polish Rifle Division. The reorganization took place in Kiev and uh, surrounding and the surrounding area where the Polish population at the time was esti estimated up to 30%. At the same time, uh, a small detachment, uh, at the same time, the uh, a Polish detachment of uh, Polish lan lan lancers who had hitherto been accompanying the infantry 
was reorganized into Polish Lancers Regiment. <coughs> that was that, with, with this cap, not with, with this uniforms anymore. Um, both units, the division and the Lancer, uh, Lancer Regiment, were sent to, to, to the front in eastern Galicia. During the summer, where uh, they were supposed to support the final Russian offensive of World War I, the so-called Kerensky Offensive. And we have here, they look like this. They have mostly Russian uniforms, the hood, uh, equipment, everything was Russian. Uh, they, they don't have, uh, they don't have at the time, I mean, the, the brigade don't have Polish distinction. But in 1917, it was different. Because at the time, uh, the new government, the revolutionary government, allowed to wear Polish symbols. So you have on this picture two things. Uh, the guy has a Russian national Tsarist symbol on the cap. And the Polish eagle, just over here. So it's, it's a strange combination, of course, for us now. But at the time, for them, it was completely normal. And, and, and another interesting thing was, uh, thing was this: that uh, in 1917, so after the revolution, the provisional government banned, maybe not banned, but uh, did it allow to wear the Tsarist symbol on the cap anymore? But many officers and non-commissioned officers still use it against the rules because it was their act of protest against the new uh, rules, new revolutionary order in Russia. I mean, a revolutionary disorder. So the, it, 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 it doesn't mean that they supported the Tsar. Maybe some of them, yes, but. Uh, Usually they, they wanted to show that the new regime is not welcomed by them. Uh, so when the, when the uh, division and the rap, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and division and uh, lancers were sent to the front line, front line, the Poles found themselves uh, at the front in 1917 in July at the moment when Russian army was completely demoralized. Entire regiments of the Russian army were fleeing from the front or surrounding to the Germans and Austrians. Meanwhile, the Polish division selflessly, selflessly defended the position near Brzezany. Uh, the soldiers were poorly equipped. For example, they did not have uh, gas masks or divisional, divisional arti artillery. The Russian batteries intended to support them deserted. Uh, as a re result of enemy use of poison gas, the division suffered a very heavy losses, over one, 100 dead. On top of the Russian poor command, the decision was taken at the time to disarm the Poles by way of venting their distrust of them. However, the unit did not dissolve. Soon regained its fighting capacity by arming itself with equipment abandoned by the Russians on the roadsides. 
After a few days, the Russian high command withdrew its, its, its order to disarm. Uh, the Poles appeared to be one of the few units still capable of fighting. They were sent to the Hushatin on Zbrojny River, now the western Ukraine, uh, where heavy, heavy battles were fought uh, for two weeks at the turn of August 1917. At that time, Polish Lancers re Regiment was operating in the area of Stanislavov, now this is Eastern Galicia, protecting the city and its, it, and its inhabitants from rape and robberies by Russian marauders. The Lancers hanged and executed the captured bandits. The use of such brutal measures helped control the situation. As the major of Stanislavov wrote, the Polish troops saved the city. Mayor. Uh, mayor, sorry. Mayor. Mayor. Sipilia, yes. The city council even struck a special commemorative medal in their, in their honor. The, the Lancers uh, were not given long to enjoy the beauties of Stanislavov. On July 24, 1917, the Austro-German forces approached the city. The regiment moved in, into the battle. Uh, on the outskirts of Stanislavov, uh, by the settlement of Krehovce, the Polish Lancers charged three times at the, at, the, at the enemy, which numbered several times their force. <coughs> the Poles inflicted the Austrians and Germans heavy losses and delaying their attack for several hours. This feat won the regiment its fame. The battle for Stanislavov and Krehovce had an unusual symbolism for the Poles at the time. The Lancers fought the troops of all three of their partitioning powers, and they won. This is how they look at the time. Uh, you know, they still have Russian uniforms, but uh, the ranks, the ranks uh, part, are Polish, are different from the from the Russians. They they don't have Russian epaulets. They have Polish eagles on caps, uh, and, and and the rest is of course Russian. The the blue trousers and uh, the the the, the uh, uh, saber. Saber. I mean the weapon was still everything was Russian. In August 1917, both the, the division and the Lancers were sent to the first Polish corps as it, it was being formed in Minsk, Litevsk, now the capital of Belarus, and they never returned to the German front. A new chapter of battle was opened for them, this time against the Bolsheviks. The Polish corps and the other formations made up of Polish soldiers who followed in their footsteps were those who, who first offered armed resistance to the Bolshevik and, and the Bolshevik revolt before, the, uh, before even the Russian uh, anti-Bolshevik White Army did so. After 
the February re revolution in mid-1917, the new Russian authorities gave permission to, to do the formation of the large Polish units, the first of which was the first Polish corps. Toward the end of 1917, it grew to contain about 30,000 soldiers. This body was formed in the region of Minsk, Vitebsk, and Smolensk. It was far Polish borderlands at the time. Uh, their commander was General Józef Dowbur-Muśnicki, who was considered one of the ablest generals of the Russian army of the, uh, at the time. His name was put forward for the position of chief Polish, uh, by, by the Chief Polish Military Committee uh, in consultation with the Supreme Command of the Russian Army. This is General Dowbur-Muśnicki, this is his picture, this is his uniform at the time, uh, you can see also the, the Polish eagle at the cap, and uh, one of the highest uh, Russian decoration uh, of, of the time, the cross of St. George, of the third class. A uh, general was Polish patriot, so this, uh, this decoration has Polish white eagle on the, uh, above, uh, above the, the order. Uh, under the command of General Dovbar, the developing corps maintained a singularly Polish character and autonomy within the Russian army. The Russian emblems disappeared, finally, from the caps of the soldiers and officers, uh, to be replaced by the eagles. Instead of Russian officers' epaulets, the insignia of Polish ranks were worn. Apart from uh, the three division, divisions of infantry and the cavalry division, the corps also included artillery and engineering units and even aviation, anti-aircraft, balloon and armored units. The corps was designed, designed so that it could operate as an independent tactical unit. Volunteers from throughout Russia were drawn to the Polish standard from the collapsing Tsarist army, both individually and in the whole detachments. However, the process of forming the new corps was never completed. In December 1917, after the Bolshevik Revolution, Lenin and Trotsky declared that General Dovbor's army was a counter-revolutionary element and at the time, it was the only big disciplined and combat-ready military unit in this part of Russia, over, over which Bolsheviks was uh, uh, Bolsheviks has no control. Boris Savinkov, an opponent of Bolsheviks, uh, was aware of this, and he, seeking contact with the Poles in order to persuade them to attack Petrograd and overtake The expedition, unfortunately, did not succeed because Savinkov was pursued by the Bolshevik Cheka and had to remain in hiding. Meanwhile, the Bolsheviks issued an ultimatum to the Polish corps, demanding that they immediately lay down their arms. But the Poles were determined to defend themselves, uh, and, uh, and General Dobor Muśnicki 
of, uh, answered the ultimatum with the words, you will only take our arms from our dead. In, 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 in mid-January 1918 uh, was the first Polish Bolshevik clashes. Despite the extreme winter conditions, the first Polish corps was able to concentrate most of, of its troops and stop enemy attack. During the clashes, Polish soldiers used armored cars and trains equipped with cannons. This marked the symbolic debut of the Polish armored units. Small sabotage groups composed of, of officers operated behind the enemy lines, blowing up bridges and destroying rail trucks. Uh, the feet of the soldiers of the 3rd Polish Rifle Division under General Wacław Iwaszkiewicz has passed into the legend. In conditions of constant combat, through snow and ice, they broke through the near Smolensk and reached Bobrusk, crossing 300 miles of snow-covered fields on foot. The turning point of uh, of this battle was captured by the Poles on February, February the 3rd, 1918. Bobrusk town and fortress where big stores of weapons and supplies for the front were located. Okay, much better. Uh, mm. After the Battle of Bobruisk, I called this battle in this paper, but it wasn't actually a battle. It was a splendid operation. Uh, the Poland captured the, the fortress and, the, the, and the, the city without a single shot. Uh, you know, it was a small resistance uh, at, the, uh, at the outskirts of uh, of Bobrusk by the group of, of uh, uh, Bolshevik commissaries. They were executed after that. But uh, the, 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 whole, the, whole, uh, the whole citadel was captured with no single shot. Just groups of Polish, uh, Polish soldiers uh, um, replaced the German, uh, the, the Bolshevik posts, and it was over. The rest of the garnison. Uh, was uh, simply surrounded at, at, at the time. The interesting thing was that the um, statistic of, of, of this uh, battle was that uh, one pole was to 10 Bolshevik soldiers. It was about 800 Polish soldiers and about 7,000 7, Bolsheviks. Even, even more the Poles uh, captured the city and uh, simply ended the battle with victory. Uh, so, after the Battle of Bobrusk, which became the first Polish uh, corps headquarters at the time, General Dobur Muśnicki gradually expanded the area controlled by his troops. The Bolsheviks, suffering heavy losses, uh, began to fall back. On, fe on February 20, 1918, Polish forces drove the enemy from Minsk Litevsk, but after a few days had to leave the city, themselves under pressure from the German troops advancing from the west. However, Mohylów, the second large gubernatorial city, remained in Polish hands. Uh, 
to the end, uh, to, to, to the east, the Dnieper and Berezina rivers formed the natural barrier bars, separating the Polish forces from the Bolsheviks. And this is how it looks uh, Polish soldier at the time. Uh, still, the, the, all the all the uh, equipment is Russian, but the helmet is French, but, but used by the Russian army at the time. But they removed the the, the, the Tsarist eagle and and uh, picture a Polish one. Um, in March. 1918, the situation stabilized. Germans accepted the presence of the Polish troops. The Poles now controlled the area of Poland's former eastern borderlands, a, re a re region of uh, 12,000 square miles, equivalent to, to, to the size of Maryland. In addition, uh, in, in, in addition to Mohylów and Pobruisk, the Polish government also controlled Rochaczów, an important railway junction between Kiev and Pietrograd, former St. Petersburg, and the fortress at Bychów. It was another one fortress, so we had two fortresses in this area. The liberated territory formed the basis of Little Poland. Polish officers and administration operated there, the Polish post issued stamps bearing the Jagiellonian eagle and white and red flags fluttered on buildings. There were also two official languages, Polish and Russian. The land around Mohylów and Babruisk is forgotten, a first piece of free and independent Poland in 1918. It was a strange and unique moment, recalled the writer Ignatius Okszak-Radabowski, on an island surrounded by an ocean of barbarians, on the one hand, and on the other by a dam on Hindenburg's iron hosts. There was a handful of an independent, sovereign, true to, to, to life Polish army. Nobody ordered us to do it. We had a Poland which was liberated and proud. We had only God above us and our commander with us. And this is, this is one of, of the pictures of uh, Ouch of, of allegiance uh, to the, uh, to the um, uh, uh, re 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 regency Regency, uh, I the word. Uh, council. Regency Council in Warsaw in March 1918. So they look like this. Uh, the presence. No, this is Mohilev. Yes, this is uh, The presence of the first Polish corps stopped the revolutionary chaos and restored peace to the inhabitants of this part of the Polish Republic's former borderlands. The battle had and were armed Polish soldiers stood as a bulwark against the Red Terror. There was an end to an attacks on landowners' properties and the pogroms against the Jews. 
in the small towns, elementary schools were created, as were grammar schools in Mohilev and Pobrysk. The churches for Orthodox and Catholic were reopened, and a Polish theater began to perform. Shops opened, as did even the cafes and banks, which had been forgotten after the Bolshevik Revolution. After the horrors of Bolshevik rule, life seemed to be returning to normal. But in the second half of May 1918, Polish-German coexistence came to an, to, to an end. The German command of the Eastern Front, in violation of pre previous agreements, made an, made an ultimatum to Polish First Corps demanding its surrender and demobilization. Though both men were unable to fight on two fronts simultaneously against both the Bolsheviks and Germans. Uh, the officers and soldiers were evacuated by train to central Poland and could return to their home homes. However, they maintained contact with each, each other, believing that they would soon be needed once more by the renaissance re homeland. At the end, and, and they were not mistaken. The story of Dorvor's men did not end with surrender of Bogusk. Releasing the corps soldiers soon proved to be a big mistake for the Germans. It was the same men who organized uh, the disarmament of the Germans in Warsaw on 10th and 11th November 1918. The soldiers of the corps divided into groups of shock troops followed a plan to occupy the German hold facilities, warehouses, barracks, royal castle, and the airport. It was the same story as with, as with Bogorysk. They had planned and they did it. That's all. Uh, it, was, it, it, it was also the same in the other towns in central Poland. The officer class formed regiments of infantry, cavalry, and air forces. In January 1919, General Dobor Muśnicki took command on the, of the insurgent forces of Wielkopolska, where he repaid the Germans uh, in re retaliation for the defeat of Bobrusk. In 1919, the General Dobor Muśnicki's former subordinates fought on the old front of the researched Poland. The Wielkopolska division, commanded by former officers of Dovol's Corps, took part in the capture of Minsk, Litevsk, and then took Bogrusk back of the hands of the Bolsheviks. For the future year, the borderland capital of Dovol's men still remained within the Polish borders. However, after the Treaty of Riga of 1921, Bobrusk found itself outside the, Polish, the, the borders of Poland. Several thousand officers passed through the ranks of the Polish formations in Russia, men who joined the reborn Polish army after 1918. Many of them found, uh, found later fame as Polish military and politician act activists. Uh, the above-mentioned General Lucian Żeligowski, General Władysław Anders, 
the supreme commander of the Polish armed forces during the World War II, and Władysław Raczkiewicz, for a Polish president in exile. When Dobor's men left Bobruisk in 1918, oh, one, once more you have uh, the final pattern of, of uh, General Dobor's uh, army uniforms. Okay. This is also the 3rd of May, uh, the 3rd of May parade in Bobruisk. Actually, this is Bobruisk, yes. And the funny thing is that there are a lot of pictures made from this point on this gate. And one of them is different from, from the others. Because on this picture and, and on many other people, the audience, are looking at the at this soldiers. But on, on, in one, on, on one picture, when I made it bigger, 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 I saw that they don't look at the soldiers, but they look above, somewhere on the sky. You don't know why? Because Polish, first Polish planes are parading through the, through the sky, and you know, for them, uh, aircraft, for the simple people from Bobrusk, was something unbelievable. You know, they, they didn't believe that such a thing can fly. Uh, anyway, when Dobor's men left Bobrusk in 1918, they left a mound topped by, uh, by a cross in memory of their fallen comrades in arms. The mound was completely destroyed by the Bolsheviks and even now it's difficult uh, it is difficult to indicate precisely the place where it, 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 it stood. However, its miniature replica still stands in the Dovorczycy quarter at the Powonski Military Cemetery in Warsaw, where it still remains as a distinguishing feature. It should be underlined the soldiers of Lancers under General Dobor Muśnicki inscribed a novel page in the epic history of the Polish borderlands, fighting victory victoriously against the Bolsheviks as the first military force to do so. They liberated Bobrusk and freed Minsk and Mohylów. They created a piece of free Poland on the borderlands of the former Polish Republic. And although they, they had finally laid down their arms before the German army in summer 1918, the story of their struggle is worth remembering and bringing into wider recognition today. Thank you very much. We're going to send it around. Dr. Moshinsky actually clobbered together the impossible a, through a variety of. Uh, I'll just send them. Another one about General Dobor. He clobbered together an album which.
was seemingly impossible because those pictures were not supposed to exist. And, and, uh, the story was completely forgotten. I don't know how many of you have heard about anything like this. I'm looking at the cadets from Poland. Did they teach you this? Of course not. Everyone is too tolerant to remember things like this. Well, when I was a child, I knew about it because uh, General Iwaszkiewicz Rudoszanski is a relative of mine. And my uh, great-grandmother's brother, uh, Wachmistrz Chef of the 1st Lancers Regiment, so Master Sergeant, uh, Zygmunt Lisowski, Herr Bujes, fought in those engagements. Later he was in World War II, he was in the underground and he was killed in Auschwitz by the Germans. We had a friend, Andrzej Wielowiejski, whose grandfather was an officer of Dr. Musznicki. That's how, step by step, Dr. Musznicki was able to get pictures and restore something that almost completely disappeared and the Nazis made sure of it and then the communists. It resurfaced, but it can only happen through very painstaking work and enthusiasm. Yeah. Uh, one word about the airplanes, I don't, I think there is a picture of, um, there is a picture of uh, Colonel Abakanovich, the head of um, uh, Dobur Mushinsky's first corps, uh, uh, first corps um, uh, air force. I think um, he was a crazy man, because instead of heading west, following the disarming of the corps, of the troops, he headed northeast to St. Petersburg to break through to Archangel to be able to join the Polish army in France. Unfortunately, he was arrested by the Bolsheviks, his family was taken hostage, and he was told to become a flight instructor for the Red Army. So he agreed, because he didn't want to be shot on the spot. And the first chance he got, he chucked out his co-pilot, hijacked the plane, and went over to the Polish lines. <laughs> on, 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 on the 1st May of May oh, May, May the 1st, to celebrate the communist. It was in every in, in Poland. <laughs> Colonel Abakanovich was awesome. Of course, after the war, uh, during World War II, he was um, in the underground. He was, uh, I think he was the uh, last chief of staff of the National Armed Forces. He was murdered in jail by the communists. Uh, anyway, these are just my comments. Topics totally obscure. And we have been able here as a media, to resurrect those people, people who didn't, didn't exist. It's worth stressing that when the Poles occupied the area, it was full of uh, petty gentry by the Berezina River, entire hamlets of petty gentry, who thought that Poland had returned after 120 years. So they rose 
and join Dobromushnitsky, including cavalry. If you'd like to read about it, there is a book by Florian Czernyszewski, uh, who was one of them. He published it in Argentina. So obviously Poles in Poland don't know anything about it, but I, I believe there must have been a new edition in Poland. Yes. Yeah, not Berezinci, that's what it is called. Anyway, this is a, a fascinating and completely forgotten story. We will work some more on Polish troops in Siberia, etc., etc., to bring them back to uh, collective memory, because that's what we do here in the United States. Americans of Polish extraction uh, remember. I'd like to stress this. Now, this guy's family was with my family in November Rising. They are our clan brothers. They are Kościesza, like we are, the Jacewiczes. Now, his family has not been more or less back in Poland since they were deported to Siberia in 1831. But he knows that stuff. He knows more stuff than your average Pole in Poland. Why? Because we're snobs. We don't have Poland here, but we have memories. And those guys who live every day among people who speak the same language are not necessarily interested. Plus, after the tragedy of Nazism and communism, the objective of the totalitarians was to erase memories. It takes a great effort, like Dr. Moschinsky, to find out that the Jewish population of the regions of the old Commonwealth under the Polish rule in the East during the Bolshevik Revolution and Civil War rejoiced in the Polish troops because there was no looting, no robbing, and they could just proceed as they had before. Remember, revolution meant absolute anarchy, which means the helpless, and Jews didn't have their own military units, were at the mercy of anybody. So that is also a missing page, which he resurrected. Uh, and last but not least, I just wanted to tell you that uh, the Polish army in the east, in Bogrusk and Mohyle, issued its own stamps as Poland. So <laughs> they had posts, telegraphs, and they were convinced this would be uh, the first part of resurrected Poland. It wasn't uh, to be. They were in an impossible predicament. But they did all they could. Uh, I think you should know that most of the demobilized troops who, who were disarmed were allowed to pass to the West and they immediately joined underground formations. And in the fall of 1918, they were instrumental, for instance, in disarming the Germans. General Dobromuszynski was the head of Poland's uh, uh, Wielkopolska army in Poznania where he led the rout of the German forces. He commanded, presided over it. Further, a bunch of Dovborczycy, um, uh, or the veterans from the east, uh, constituted the bulk of the underground troops who assaulted the Germans in Warsaw. In historiography, you only hear about 
the amateurish socialist Polish military organization, Polska Organizacja Wojskowa of Piłsudski. I'm sorry, it took professional officers to set it all up in Warsaw. And Andrzej Wielowiejski's grandfather nearly caught the top German official, General Beselev was his name, who fled through the back door and hopped on a boat on the Vistula and took off. But um, these are all unsung heroes and stories that nobody knows. Anyway, uh, if you have any or two questions, we'll take. Go ahead to Dr. Mursin. Doctor, I'm wondering if there's any uh, interaction between these forces and the Czech Legion as it was making its way uh, to the east. Uh, not at all, except one. Uh, the Czech, Czech Legion was created in Pobruisk a year before uh, the, the Polish corps captured the city. A year before. It, it was the end of 1916. But the other Polish formations, like the Second and uh, Third Corps, they have inter they they had interactions with, with the Czech, and uh, it it was close relations. Some Polish officers also went together with the Czechs to Siberia. Uh, no, 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 Rubsha, no. Uh, the writer, the famous writer. Uh, was Jerzy Bandrowski, the brother of of the famous Bandrowski Kaden, who was Pisus kid. But it was a, a, a story from 1919. Yeah. I'm talking about 1980. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, so yes, uh, uh, and, and, and another thing when Polish. Uh, First Polish division was disarmed uh, in uh, in South Galicia, in uh, Eastern Galicia. Uh, Russian Supreme Command decided to make you know between Poles and the Czechs some because the, co the cooperation was very close. So they took the all the Polish weapons and gave it to the to the Czech in order to make. Um, no. Create conflict. To create conflict, yes, simply between us. Okay, second question. Yes. Thank you so much for the meticulous work and analysis that goes into uh, this effort. Um, I noticed on uh, on the the photo of the the parade mm -hmm. uh the one that you noted that people were looking looking up that the 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 parade was led by a couple of priests could you speak were these military chaplains yes so could you speak a little bit about the role of military chaplains in uh the polish military oh, and if yeah. not and, and and if the and if the topic is too broad then i I would love to speak to you about that offline. Yeah, Thank uh, you. the the role of the chaplains uh, was very important at, at, at the time because you know uh, a lot of soldiers, even officers, were highly uh, highly religious, but uh, they were under 
for many years under the pre pre pressure of Russian culture, of Russian style of, style of life. And Polish priests were the first who tried to teach them how to be Polish, how to act as, as, as a Polish, how to think as a Polish, how to use Pol Polish language. Because many many of them has problem with with Polish language, how to speak, not even the command, just ordinary Polish language language for many years uh, living in Siberia, somewhere far away from Poland, they simply forgot how to speak Polish. They they had Polish at home when they were fifteen. But when they were seven, 17, they were sent to the army, and for 40, 30 years, they spent all the time with the Russians. So they had to, to, to learn how to be Polish. And the t t t teachers were the priests, of course. So what I understand you to say is that the, the Catholic Church, particularly in Poland, had an important role in the education of, yes. uh, of the youth. And, the, and, and another thing was this, that the, uh, the Polish corps was under strong pressure from the Bolsheviks. And, uh, you know, the Bolsheviks wanted to infiltrate and teach them how to be, not a Pole, but by how, to, how to be a Soviet, how to be a communist. And priests was the first line of defense on, on, on mind, of, of, of the mind of the soldiers. So the, the role was very important in 19, uh, 1918. Okay. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.